You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. in our series, I thought really in a way this kind of fit well with a deacon ordination service because as we, as we talk about, you know, we're talking about the brief history of crime and um, we, we looked last time at, at, the, at, the, at the crime of jealousy that took place against Joseph and at this time we see the, the crime, the Hebrews crime of rebellion against what God was doing and it went so well with what Ashley was saying but while that's going on, we do see people being faithful to God during that time, and especially Moses and Aaron. And so we, we, as we talk about this deacon ordination today, uh, we, we also are called to uh, remember the ways that, that people stood for God, uh, the way that Moses continued to stand for God when all the odds were against him. And as we heard this week in Revival, if, if we say that... Um, one of the preachers, I can't remember which one it was, said that uh, when we say to God, we give excuse to say, well, we can't speak. That didn't work well with Moses. Uh, Moses gave that excuse and was called anyhow. So we want to look at this passage of Scripture. And uh, we're, the Scripture itself is going to be from verses 17 through 50. But to save on time, we're going to look at really what would be called the kind of the thesis passage of this passage of Scripture, verses 37 through 43. And at this time, we would encourage everyone, if you will, to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. Acts chapter 7, verses 37 through 43. And as I, as I begin this, I also want to thank everybody for the wonderful gift that you gave and also for the wonderful meal. I, I did seem a little out of place. I, I wore a, patriarch, a patriotic shirt, but it had holes in the back of it to make things worse. So, but, uh, but I definitely do. That was some wonderful food and a wonderful time of fellowship as well. Acts chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 37 through 43. Now, now our, our passage really begins back in 17 
we see that through these verses, uh, Stephen is still proclaiming this message. He's pr- proclaiming this message to uh, the Jewish authorities. In verses 17 and following, he talks about the early days of Moses. And we see the life of Moses broken up into three sections of 40 years. Moses, uh, you know, the, the Pharaoh uh, did wanted to get rid of all the male boys, and it was by God's sovereign grace that Moses was spared in the Nile River. In fact, the name Moses itself means out of the river. And of course, God sovereignly worked, and he was taken out of the, out of the river by the Egyptian woman, was cared for by the, in the courts, and, and was given some of the best education, the, the best opportunities to excel, just as did Joseph which shows us that even through the worst possible times in our lives, God is still at work, amen? That Romans 8.28 is still at work, not only in the good times of our life, but also in the bad times. That God is able, even through our bad choices, our bad decisions, bad circumstances, things when everything seems to be falling apart at the seams, God is still in our lives molding and making and shaping us into His image to bring about something good for all those who love Christ and are called according to His purpose. Amen? God is still at work. So we see that uh, 40 years he's in, he's in Egypt. He's brought up uh, in 40 years after a, a bad decision by Moses. He goes out to uh, was it Midian, I think it is, uh, Midian. And, and during this time, he experiences God uh, in the burning bush. God appears to him in a burning bush. And so God's calling Moses at this time. And Moses says, Lord, I'm not one who's a good speaker. God says, you follow me anyhow. I will equip you as you go along. And then the 40 more years, he goes back to Egypt. You know the story. He goes back to Egypt. He's trying to lead the people out into the promised land. They spend 40 years in wilderness. Honestly, it could have only been a couple of months that it would probably should have taken them to get to the promised land. But due to the constant rebellion of the people, you see it took 40 years. So we start in verse 37. This is what Moses, who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. And that prophet, this is a messianic prophecy. Stephen, by doing so, he's taking Moses' statement and showing forth the Messiah that would come. Jesus himself that would come. He says, this is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with uh, with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what he has become of him. In other words, he must have lost his mind. What's going on with this guy? And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Repham, images which you made to worship, then I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Dear kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word and what it means to us. And Lord, as we talk about this brief his, this, uh, this history of crime that humanity has held against you, we're so thankful that as Ashley mentioned just previously, how much you love us and cherish us despite that, and you seek to save those who were lost. 
It's not your will that any should perish, but it's your will that all should come to repentance. And it's by your grace that we are saved through faith in you. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we just ask, Lord, that you would allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken. Hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see, our ears, that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. Bless over Tommy, Lord. Thank you for Tommy and his family, what they mean to us. And we know, Lord, we just ask that your anointing hand would be upon him today as we anoint him as the newest deacon here at Huntsville Baptist Church, that you would bless over him and keep him, Lord, in and through your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I must make a confession. It's probably not the most Christian show to be watching. I have to admit that. My wife absolutely hates the show. But how many of you have ever seen NBC show The Office? Anyone ever seen that? <laughs> I see some head shaking. Some going, oh. <laughs> There is, a, there is an episode in that, uh, in that series where Michael Scott, this, uh, this, this manager, this office manager who doesn't have a clue, he always gets himself, says the wrong things, does the wrong things in, in every possible term. But one situation, one time, his, the regional manager of this corporation, Dunder Mifflin, wanted them to start turning everything over to... Uh, to, to, uh, to digital devices they wanted them to turn everything over to the website and Michael Scott he was going to rebel against that he put in a GPS he was going to take these fruit baskets to all these uh, these former uh, former customers to try to win them back by the fruit baskets and his friend Dwight Schrute who was even crazier than Michael uh, they're driving down the highway and the GPS tells them to turn right well, My Michael takes this extremely literally and turns right before the road is even there and drives in the middle of a lake. And we, see, we watch this program, we think about this, and we think, my goodness, how ridiculous it is for a man to drive a car in a lake when you can see the road clear as day just down the street just a little ways. But, beloved, I would tell you, as ridiculous as that sounds... So, so it is when we turn from God to these man-made idols that we possess in our lives, when we turn from God to our own ways, to our own, our own ideas, and away from God's truth, when we do that, it's just as silly as it was for Michael Scott to drive his car into that lake. Today, as we continue this series, we see that the Hebrews, this, this, this crime against God continued not only through the jealousy of the patriarchs, but through the history of rebellion that you see with Israel. For in fact, Israel itself means he who wrestles against God. And we see three ways that the Hebrews rebelled against God. We see in verses 17 through 36 that they rebelled against God's man. They rebelled against God's message in verses 37 through 43 and they rebelled against God's meeting in verses 44 through 50 that's going to take a little explanation as we go through this so first and foremost let's take a look back at verses 17 through 36 as the Hebrews first of all rebelled against God's man God calls each and every one of us Tommy he has a calling upon your life and I am so thankful and grateful to know you and to see what God is doing through your life if you're happy for if you if you're glad we have Tommy sides here at Huntsville let me hear you say amen, amen. 
what a wonderful man of God and what a wonderful woman of God is sharing, even though we do need to get her that elf hat still, we still need to do that. But other than that, uh, what a wonderful calling they have upon their lives. But I would tell you that each and every one of us have a calling in our lives. Moses had a calling in his life. Stephen had a calling in his life. And he, uh, we see in verses 17 through 19 that God was preparing to deliver the people from bondage as they were in Egypt. Okay, the king had dealt deceitfully with the people, verse 19, and Moses was going to be the man, even though he couldn't speak very well, he was going to be the man to stand before Pharaoh, the highest-ranking official in that day and time, telling him, you have to let my people go free. Now, I don't know about you, but that would scare me out of my sandals if I were Moses. That I would have to stand before Pharaoh... At his order, he could execute Moses, stand before Pharaoh and say, you must let my people go free. So you see, God moves in a mighty way through, through Moses' life. But even still, we see a history of this rebellion against Moses. We see a guy by the name of Korah in Numbers 16, verses 1 through 16, who mounts a rebellion against Moses. But, but God continues to work through the people, to work through Moses in a mighty way. Uh, we also see that... Uh, it's an absolutely amazing thing that God appears to Moses. He appear, comes down on Mount Sinai. The fire is on the mountain. The smoke is on the mountain. Moses goes up. He's in the very presence of God Almighty. He comes down with the law of God. The Bible says his face is aglow with the glory of God. And what does he find the people doing? Can you believe this? They're dancing around a golden calf that they had made, even tempting Aaron to do the same, worshiping this calf instead of the God that they saw that was on the mountain, the God that had delivered them from Egypt. You see, this, there's a history we see throughout the Scripture, throughout humanity, where we rebel against the movement of God. Isaiah faced opposition. Amos faced a guy by the name of Amaziah. Amos was preaching the message, wanting the people to come to God, be conformed and transformed to God. And Amaziah says, we don't like that. You need, to, you need to go stop preaching that word. But Amos kept preaching the word harder, even harder than before. Why? Because he was a man of God. Brother Tommy, sometimes in life when we stand for God, it's not always going to be a popular opinion. Amen? We're not always going to find favor with the world. In fact... I read a story of one Campbell Morgan who was uh, one of 150 young men who sought entrance to the Wesleyan ministry in 1888. He passed the doctrinal examinations but faced the trial sermon. He preached in a huge congregation that would seat thousands, but there are only a handful, three judging ministers and about maybe 75 in this congregation, that could, this church that could seat a thousand. Two weeks later, Morgan's name appeared upon the 105 rejected candidates for the ministry in the Wesleyan Church. But as he prayed, he went home, he was dejected, you know, he felt rejected. But God came to him and spoke to him and says, Rejected on earth, accepted in heaven. In later years, Campbell Morgan became one of the most powerful preachers in American history, even, even preaching along the sides of D.L. Moody and many other people. Understand, Brother Tommy, what I'm simply trying to say today is be the man that God has called you to be. You can't be anyone else. You can only be who you are. You can only be the person that God has called you to be. The same is true for the rest of us. 
We can be a second-rate someone else, or we can be a first-rate person who God has called us to be. And be the person God has called you to be. Do the things that God has called you to do. And it's important that for the child of God that we follow the leadership of the Lord and that we as a church support and honor Tommy and help him along the way. Amen? It's important that we support one another and help one another along the way. But understand that a lot of times we, we have, to, we have to, to use these tests to test ourselves. We have to ask ourselves, and, you know, and as we look at other preachers, perhaps on television, as we look at other leaders, we have to ask ourselves questions. Do, they, do we uphold the entire Word of God, or do we treat it like the Wall Street Journal or like the Winston-Salem Journal, taking out maybe the parts we like and, not, and taking out the part, or keeping the parts we like, taking out the parts we don't? We must keep the entire Word of God as true. Do we, do we call good good and evil evil? Do we demonstrate strong ethics and integrity? Do we possess an orthodox theology accepting the truths of the Bible? And do we have a strong walk with the Lord? We as individuals must strive to do these things as we seek the will of the Lord and uphold one another. Number two, the Hebrews rebelled against God's message. Brother Tommy, I would just simply tell you as I would tell anyone else, it is so critical that we take the Bible as the Word of God, from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation. There is a movement in modern culture, unfortunately, even among, even among preachers today, there is a movement where we cut and paste the Bible. We, we take this one part here, we like this part, oh, we don't like this other part, I like this part, I don't like this other part. And we manipulate and massacre the Bible to make it in our image, but God didn't call us to have the Bible made in our image. He calls us to be made in His image, you see. So it's important that we accept the message that God has given to us. And sometimes understand that the truth will confront issues in our lives, and we have at that point in time the choice to make. Will we accept the truth of God and be conformed, be transformed by the renewing of our minds, or will we rebel against the message that God has given us? Stephen quotes Amos 5, verses 25 through 27, uh, as, as he goes through this passage of Scripture, uh, as, as he shows that uh, many times the people, the Hebrews, we see, were given over to their own desires. When God speaks the truth, we must confront the truth. We must allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to transform us, to make us into Christ's image. You see, but you see, I believe, certainly believe that God gives us a choice, either to listen or not. I had at a previous pastorate, I had a, an individual, I won't give the name or the circumstances for the protection of the person, but I had a person who came to me and was threatening to commit suicide. And I, and I really, having had certain situations in my life, this really hit me hard. And I was speaking to this person, and I was giving this person information resources that were out there to help this person. And as a deacon, you may be confronted with issues like this. But I was, I was giving this person information, and I even gave this person the phone number of a counselor in our area. Contact this person. Call this person and let him help you. I didn't hear anything else for the rest of the evening. And so I called this counselor the next day and asked him, did you hear anything from a certain person? And he says, no, I didn't. And I asked this counselor, I said, I told him everything I had done for this person who was threatening to kill themselves. And I said, 
What else can I do to help this person? And Dr. God knows who he is. He says, Brian, you've done everything you can do. If you've given the resources out there, you've given the, the, the help that's out there and available, you must let that person make their choice. Ultimately, he's talking about even as a counselor that he's encountered things just where people could, would, not, uh, would not accept the advice given to him. The point I'm simply trying to make is, is that the truth speaks to our hearts. It transforms us. It confronts the issues of our lives. And we have the choice to respond to that or to rebel against that. But God in His great love never gives up on us. Amen? He never gives up on us. As long as we have breath in our, in our body, God never gives up on us. God's love was exhibited through Hosea towards unfaithful Gomer. You know, some people, as I study the Bible, some people have said that God in the Old Testament was a mean, angry God. I don't get that image at all. You know why? Because I see that God continually worked with, through his people and, and reached out that, that arm of grace to say, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, as Christ himself would say. Hosea, we see an example of this as Gomer, representing Israel, continued to be unfaithful to God, but God, represented through Hosea, continued to extend the arm of invitation, the arm of grace to, Hosea, to Gomer to bring her back. He was basically saying to Israel, I have a love for you that will never fail. Return to me. Return to me. Receive my grace. Jesus' love was exhibited through his prayer for the persecutors and also by his lament over Jerusalem when he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kills the prophets, oh, how I have often wanted you to take you up under my wing, but you were not willing. Brother Tommy, I would say to you and I would say to the rest of us, be willing to face the truth that God speaks. He doesn't provide this truth to harm us. He provides this truth to help us, to change us, to mold us, to make us into the image of Christ. Not to be made in my image or anyone else's image, but in the image of Christ Jesus. Brother Bob would say amen to this. I don't want you to be made in the image of Brian Chilton. Amen, Bob? <laughs> Don't need to be made in the image of Brian Chilton. You need to be made in the image of Jesus Christ, and that's what it's all about. Allow Him to help you through the problems of life. And understand, Brother Tommy, and I'd say to each and every one here, you don't have to go it alone. You have the Holy Spirit of God. They're willing to help you. We have other Christians that are willing to help you as well. Last but certainly not least, the Hebrews rebelled against God's meeting. In verses 44 through 50, I won't go through this because it could get really, really detailed and time's, time's eluding us here. But what Stephen does here in verses uh, 44 through 50, he shows that God, despite the fact that they had made a golden calf, he had allowed them to build a tabernacle where this place would be like a miniature Mount Sinai. This miniature Mount Sinai would be the place where God's Spirit would come and would meet with the people. And he, they would experience his glory in this, at this uh, holy of holies, they called it, in this inner room. And so they had eventually, over time, made this into a temple uh, of rocks and stones and mortar and this huge, beautiful place. They had the holy of holies, or the holy holies, and they had the holy of holies. And in this holy of holies, God came to the individual, and the guy had to go through, the priest had to go through one time a year, he had to go through all of these rituals to make sure that he was holy enough to encounter the presence of God. In fact, it said that they even tied a rope around their ankle 
so that if they didn't do it well enough and God struck them, they had someone could come, come by without going in the Holy of Holies and drag his body out because, because of that very thing. They had to make sure they were holy to experience a holy God. But what Stephen is essentially saying here is that God does not live in houses. God does not live in tabernacles. God does not live in churches. Well, wait a minute, isn't this the house of God? Absolutely it is. But God is far bigger than anything that you can put him in a box. You cannot put him in a box is what he's trying to say. And so the reason he allows us to have churches, the reason he allows us to have tabernacles and temples and whatnot is to simply do this, to build a relationship with us, a personal relationship with us. You see, when we really stop and think about who God is, it really just absolutely should amaze us. Dr. Daniel Mitchell said at Liberty University, he says, the more we study God, the bigger God becomes. And how true that is. Think about this. To even say God exists even fails. Because, you know why? Because God does exist, but not only does he exist, his existence is so true, it's only by his existence that we are even here to acknowledge his existence. If you really just take that sentence, God exists, and contemplate about that, and really see who God is, you begin to see the grandeur of God. To say God is all-powerful doesn't even do it justice. Matter of fact, I was, uh, we were looking through uh, online, my son and I were looking the other day, and we noticed that... We have a Friday night, on Friday nights we have a fire pit night. That we would go around the fire pit, we may, you know, you know, just have a good time around the fire pit. There's something relaxing about that fire pit. I don't know what it is. But I've noticed that the, the hottest parts of the flame is this little blue color. It's a pretty blue color that comes out. Especially if you have something like oak or something like that, I've noticed. But we were looking online and uh, looked at these nuclear reactors. And I was kind of curious as to what color they produce. And it's, the ear, it's an eerie light blue color. I mean, it's just a beautiful blue color. But I started thinking about the power that was there in that reactor. And it doesn't even hold a candle to the power of God. You know, there's a lot of talk in this world about nuclear weapons and all this stuff, but no nuclear weapon even holds a candle to the power of God. You take all the power that's found in the universe, and even that itself doesn't hold a candle to the power of God. What I'm simply trying to say is Mark Galley says, God is not simply beyond existence. He's beyond all of our ideas about his being beyond existence. God is so far beyond anything that we could ever think or imagine. And just to think... That that God who is so powerful, that God who is beyond all recognition, that God whose power just exceeds our farthest imaginations, is also a God who loves us unconditionally. Think about that. The God who has this type of power loves you with an everlasting love. And there's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. Did you know that? There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. So what am I trying to simply say here? What is Stephen trying to simply say here? Don't let us place man-made things over God. We need to make sure that the number one thing in our lives, the most important thing in our lives, is our relationship with God. Our relationship with God should hold prominence over any and everything that may come our way. Because this God... This God of all creation loves Tommy Sides unconditionally and loves you unconditionally. Amen?
there's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. How do I know this? How do you know this, preacher Brian? Because I know there was a day nearly 2,000 years ago when God himself came to earth. And when people asked, how much do you love me? He extended his hands and showed on a cross by allowing humanity to nail his hands and nail his feet on a Roman cross. That's how much he loves you, and his love is unconditional. Let me close with this. We had some wonderful speakers this past week at Revival. And I was thinking back uh, about something that Rick Page said on Monday, and actually it was something that happened after the service. Philip and Rick and I were all talking about the busyness of life. And how a lot of times that busyness interrupts our relationship with God. He even said something uh, that uh, he had read somewhere that when we stay too busy, it can actually cause mental disorders according to what they're saying. What he does, now I don't know that I have the stamina to do something like this, but, but Rick Page, what he'll do is he'll go on this Appalachian Trail walk. And he'll walk about all month. He's walked the entire trail, he said, in pieces here and there. I don't know that I have the stamina to do that, but he does. And he says there's something special about getting up there in the mountains, just you and God. You just remove all the distractions and you focus upon God and what a powerful thing it is whenever you hear from God and God speaks to your heart and just feel the presence of Almighty God. What I think the underlying message behind this whole entire message is this. Make your relationship with God number one in your life. Don't let anything else come between you and God. Seek your divine calling and honor the callings of those whom God has given to you. Trust and accept the truth that God has and is showing you and do not run away from it. Understand the immense importance of your relationship with God and do not place any other thing in the place of God. And Brother Tommy, I just to simply tell you this, if you, as long as you remain faithful to God and you seek out His will, God's going to bless you, and I know He's going to use you to do some incredible things. Amen? And I believe, knowing Tommy, that He's going to do just that. So I'm excited to see what God does through Tommy's sides. Whew. Man, I'll tell you what, I feel the spirit strong right now. <laughs> we just get Pentecostal here, I'm telling you. But we're going to ask, uh, before we give the invitation... We're going to ask, actually, let's do, let's do the invitation first. Let's give the invitation first, and then we're going to call Brother Tommy up here. So we'll just ask the uh, song leader and pianist if they'll come, and uh, we'll play a, a, a line or two of our closing hymn and give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you to come and receive Him before it's eternally too late. If you're here today and maybe you have some struggles in life, maybe something's come between your, your walk with Christ, you just want to simply lay it down before the cross understand God loves you unconditionally and that's not going to change. Whatever God is saying to you in your heart, your life, expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, 
written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. When I first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there. To understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere, October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence. for people from all around this great nation who believe this is a great nation. We're looking for the best and the brightest and people who believe in goodness and honesty and liberty. If we've just described you, enroll in Liberty University. Online, we've been doing it as long as anyone. Our campus, just beautiful. If you believe in liberty, know that liberty believes in you. Liberty University online or on campus. To find out more, go to liberty.edu or call 855-466-9220.